love this podcast? Head to patreon.com slash DATC Media Company to find out how you can show your support. We're really into gotcha media, so I think everybody's expecting. <laughs> we're really that. intimidating, obviously. I heard that in 2014, you were found naked with a hooker in the in front of your grocery uh, store. If my doorbell crack. if my doorbell <laughs> rings right now, I'm going to be real nervous. But until then, I think I'm safe. <laughs> I think it's really cool that when you're working with a group of people in recovery, uh, there's a lot of understanding there that life gets lifey. Things get in the way. You've got, whether it's family stuff or work stuff or just stuff, you know, like it, there's a lot more understanding there. People who are actually working a program that are taking it down and being aware of their surroundings and how their actions affect the people around them, you know, and instead of getting angry when saying, oh, I can't be there and then blowing up and, and freaking out about stuff. It's just, it's just so much nicer to, to deal with a group of people who, who get it. You know, like, okay, you know, life happens. We'll, we'll make it work or we won't. And if it doesn't work, that's okay too. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. A member of the DATC media family. Welcome to the Much Obliged Podcast, a Yellow Balloon Experience, where we talk to and explore the world of the live music fan base who have chosen to live drug and alcohol free. Each week, we will have a new guest and have a short interview with them and lead right into their speaker meeting that they share on our Friday night speaker meetings. New episodes drop every Monday at datcmedia.com. Make sure to check us out on Facebook and our Facebook group called Much Obliged, and come on over to Instagram, where you can find us at at Junkie, J-A-H-J-U-N-K-I-E. Now on with the show. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Much Obliged podcast, The Yellow Balloon Experience. I'm Benji, and I'm here with your co hosts, Lauren and Matt. And today's a very special episode because our interview and share is with our co host, Matt. So, welcome, Matt. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hey, hey. Good to see you both. You too. Thanks for having me today. So we uh, we got to hear your speaker share a couple of weeks ago because you celebrated a birthday. And so first off, let's congratulate you. It was eight years? Eight years. Eight okay. years of constant sobriety. No breaks in the middle just to nope. explore? Eight years in a row, <laughs> as they say. All in a row. Good. Good. Um, so first of all, happy birthday. Congratulations. Uh, as you, they say, you. the uh, the first eight years are the easiest. Now the real work starts. Can't say that to everybody. I think one of the interesting things about you doing this is that uh, you know when the when the pandemic hit and we started this Friday night speaker meeting, it was easy to do every Friday night because I wasn't going anywhere. Nobody was going anywhere, and so we had you know Friday nights were easy, except for during the Beacon shows. Then all of a sudden, people had stuff to do on Friday night. But uh, as Time went on and, you know, COVID restrictions lifted and things started happening. Um, you know, all of a sudden, Friday nights, it was difficult to commit to every Friday night. And so I relied on you and um, Andrea to sort of help me manage the Friday night speaker meeting. And so um, you've been doing that service position now for about a year and a half. So Yeah. And as you know, when, when COVID started, um, I had been working a pretty solid program and there was there was a good amount of service work in there. And as soon as everything shut down, the service work was taken away. You know, I would go out and I would, uh, there was a one particular um, rehab that I would go to and speak once a month. Um, and there was another meeting that I would, I, I didn't really run the meeting, but I was, I was helpful there. And, you know, that all went away. And I, I found that while my recovery was solid, it was lacking that, um, very important piece. And, you know, when you had asked, I had, I bristled at first because it was Friday nights, you know, you don't want to tie up your Friday night, but then at the same time, once Andrea and I were able to get in the swing of things and get our, our system worked out, it really was, I looked forward to it and I looked forward to the work and really it was almost, almost like a bookie position at a, at a regular meeting, which was, uh, it was really cool. And that, you know, that was my first 
experience doing something like that in recovery. So it was nice. And I, I really enjoyed it in, in Andrea days as well. And it's really, been, it's been a lot of fun and I'm happy to be able to continue that assistance. That's great. Like what came to mind when you guys started talking about it was, I mean, I knew that the Friday night speaker meeting had been happening for like since COVID kind of since like the fell meeting started, I guess I just didn't realize it was every Friday. I just want to say like, first of all, thank you both for your service there because, you know, hosting a meeting every Friday night, even as the world opened back up, like that's a, that's a big commitment. Obviously now that I get to be a part of the meeting, I'm very grateful for it. And um, yeah, I'm just, it's very admirable that you guys have been doing this so continuously for so long. Um, so thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we should probably make note that there's been a number of people who've participated in, in keeping that going. So uh, Erica Baldwin was uh, the first person who sort of stepped up and 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 helped. And then uh, David Pugh took over for a while. And then Dave Golden took over for a while. And it's been like uh, like chair oh, okay. positions. So I see. Uh, it it has not been a it has not been a like a sole effort. It's been a it's been teamwork since the beginning. So. Which, yeah, which I, which I, I figured as yeah. much, but, I just, uh, I just don't even want to keeping it all, credit. keeping it all going and, and running and making sure we have speakers. Like it's a lot of work. So, yes. and giving up, not like you give up Friday night, but that's, what's hard for me is, you know, Friday night, like I might have something to do. And so I, I can't always commit to being there. And I know you guys too, like you, you know, Benji, you're not at every meeting that you're not at every meeting, but. It's just, it's, it's very admirable is all, yeah. that's all I'm saying. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being part of it too. It's really, it's really been a treat, you know, all around getting to know everyone. And yeah, like I've, I've loved Group it. Digital I've, HUD. I've, yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I was telling Benji yesterday, I feel like I've been not as present with the podcast lately and I told, I called Benji yesterday and just kind of told him that I was aware of that and that I'm working on it. And that life's just gotten really crazy with uh, work, wedding and all the things. Um, but now I feel like I'm really like, okay, I'm back and committed. And um, I, I love it. I love doing this with you guys. I think it's a really special thing that we're building. And um, yeah, very grateful that you two um, are the main people that I get to do it with. Awesome. I think it's really cool that um, when you're working with, you know, a group of people in recovery, uh, there's a lot of understanding there that life gets lifey, you know, like things get in the way you've got, you know, whether it's family stuff or work stuff or just stuff, you know, like it, there's a lot more understanding there, you know, people who are actually working a program that are, you know, taking it down and being aware of their surroundings and how their actions affect the people around them, you know, and instead of getting angry when saying, oh, I can't be there and then blowing up and and freaking out about stuff. It's just it's just so much nicer to to deal with a group of people who who get it, you know, like, OK, you know, life happens. We'll, we'll make it work or we won't. And if it doesn't work, that's OK, too. You know, mm -hmm. yep. yep. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, uh Matt, let me ask you this. Uh, I, I always appreciate that you ask this of our guests uh, when we interview them. And so now I get to point the uh, point the question in your direction. You were working a program before you got into the Yellow Balloon communities. Yellow Balloon communities helped you. How did those two things overlap? And how did those uh, two programs or, or two uh, ways of life intersect for you? And uh, tell, tell us more about it. So I was sober for a little bit less than a year when I went to my first fish show sober. And I was one of those people who lingered around the table. You know, I knew that it existed. I still wasn't, you know, I had my feet under me being a sober person, but I hadn't really explored a program to a, a really deep extent at that point. You know, that first year is a lot of ups and downs. So I, I just went through all of that stuff. And I did go up to the table that night and I got a sticker and 
I, I, I saw other people in the crowd and people, you know, there's the, the wave and the nod. And I felt like I was part of something, almost the, the way I felt when I first was introduced to AA. And, you know, I, I for the first time, I felt like I was a part of something. And I did not go to the meeting that night. Um, but as I was leaving the show, I was in a parking lot and there were Jersey barriers and there was someone who had driven up to the Jersey barrier and couldn't go any further and was stopped. And I looked at him and he was clearly not completely with it. And instead of turning around, he tried to drive over the Jersey barrier and he drove over the top of my car, right up over the hood, smashed on the Jersey barrier, spun around and almost hit people racing away. He ended up getting dragged out of the car. And while that sort of thing never really, that's not something that happened to me personally. You know, I, I never had those actions. Um, I was so eternally grateful that I was sober because I had to a deal with the police that night because I'd had, there was a hit and run. Um, I had to explain myself to everybody, you know, what was going on. Um, that guy needed help. Someone had dragged him out of the car and held him down on the ground until the police came. And that was the first time I was sober in a situation like that. And I was able to handle it. And I had such a, such a feeling of gratitude for just being sober in that moment that I felt, you know, the next time I was like, I was sober because of a, my program and b the fellowship of the people around me. So I started to go to the set break meetings when I was at shows, you know, be it fish or whatever else, um, you know, and I got to know other people, particularly when the pandemic started, I really got to know a lot more people. And so there were faces I would recognize and people would recognize me. And I've yet to work a fellowship table and I've actually only worked one table as of now an Elfrey's table with my, my dear friend, Danny. And who's also someone I met through, you know, pandemic fellowship. Um, you know, and I just went to a show with him last night, actually. As the pandemic progressed, I really became more involved in the yellow balloon side of things. You know, I don't want to say that my program, you know, I work a program of AA. I don't want to say it went to the side, but it became intertwined. And there were other pieces that were introduced to me by people who work other programs aside from just AA. You know, I work in a, I live in a small, small-ish rural community, and there's a lot of meetings around, but finding the varying meetings, you know, most of them are a half an hour at least away from me. So like, I'm kind of locked in on just, you know, what's nearby convenience-wise. And to have all of these other things opened up after that has really just really, really changed a lot in my recovery. How was it being a guest on the podcast of the podcast that you co-host? Was it weird? Was it cool? Was it like, anything um, or was it just normal no it was really, it was actually really cool because i haven't had an opportunity to share in long form in it's been a little while now maybe a year or more and i feel like i'm a lot more open when it takes place in my in my the confines of my home you know i'm more comfortable i'm you know everything's it's just easier for me and that part didn't make me nervous it was the interview it was this what we're doing right now that was kind of a like oh this people wow, say right. that yeah yeah they're like i'm really nervous about the you know the interview yeah we're we're really into gotcha media so i think everybody's expecting <laughs> we're really intimidating like, obviously i heard that in 2014 you were found naked with a hooker in the in front of your grocery uh, store if my doorbell <laughs> if my doorbell rings right now i'm going to be real nervous but until then <laughs> i think i'm safe <laughs> it's so funny it's so funny. Well, I'm glad that, uh, you know, obviously that it was your birthday and it, and it worked out that you were able to share. Glad you're here. Glad that you, you know, found your way to the rooms and into the fellowship. Cause yeah, whenever I think about probably like the chillest person in the fellowship, I think of, of Matt. Oh, cool. Thank you. That's yeah. Nice. I'm just like, yeah. you know, low key, like just low maintenance, no drama. It's, um, it's it's refreshing thank you I, I i really appreciate you saying that thank you and i do appreciate you know the fact that both of you are here and have been and become such an integral part of my my own sobriety or my recovery you know I, i've said it in the past 
and every time I I, I think it, um, it, there's always a, a southern accent involved. It's like y'all are the voices in my head, you know, and um, it's just really cool. It's really cool to have met a group of people. You gradually met a group of people. Lauren, you and I haven't met in person yet, but we've known each other for you know years at this point, and um, it's just really cool. And I, I I reflect on it and I appreciate it every day. And and I appreciate both of you and the work that you're both putting in. Thank you, Benji. You're chill too, but you're just you're not as chill as Matt. <laughs> I, I'll take that. I'll take that. Matt's pretty chill. He he's, got something, he's got something to strive for. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Um, all right, let's wrap this up. So Matt, uh, I appreciate you being here. I'm really excited that people are going to have the opportunity to listen to your story and hear your share because it's a great one. And uh, with that, on with the show. On with the show. On with the show. I'm so glad that we're 20 episodes in and that's still a thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's cute. That's not what you said the first time. <laughs> you were like, what I know. I mean, I'm used to it now. I thought it was Epis very cliche at first, and now I kind of like it. We dove into episode three kicking and screaming about it, but by episode <laughs> 10, it was no big deal. I win. I will wear you down and <laughs> will it into being. Uh, Matt is going to share his experience, strength, and hope with us. And before he starts, uh, everybody could unmute. Tell Matt how awesome he is. Matt, you're amazing. Matt, you are amazing. <laughs> you, Matt. We're so happy you're here. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. It's good to be here. I don't get that a lot, so I'll take it when I can. So thanks, guys. I, I do appreciate it. Uh, hi, I'm Matt. I am a uh, jaw junkie, a fell, an alcoholic, um, an addict, and all manner of other things. Um, it's good to be here tonight. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to share my story in a long form like this in quite some time, actually. So, um, and I actually really hadn't thought much about it until about 10 minutes ago. And I was like, huh, where am I going to say, <laughs> what do I say? Um, well, I think like everybody else, um, it all started innocently enough. Um, you know, uh, I grew up in a little background, I grew up in small town, New England. Uh, both of my parents are still married um, to each other. Uh, you know, they've been married for 55 years. I grew up just myself, my sister, my parents. Um, they moved out of the city when I was just after I was born, right before my sister was born, and out into the country. And I grew up, um, I grew up in the woods. And it was a beautiful life. Everybody got along. There was no fighting. There was no drinking. There was none of that normal stuff that um, that we hear about often. Um, it was so peaceful that it, it actually seems abnormal to me anyway. Um, my dad, uh, my father hasn't had a drink in about 45 years or so. Um, I've never heard him call himself an alcoholic but I've heard him share pieces of his story with me and you know not take anybody else's inventory but sounds familiar um I also know that I come from a long line of male alcoholics in my family um you know I've got cousins who've died uncles who've died all my grandfather died all while drinking in one form or another um for me, um, one of my first memories of alcohol was my parents, even though they didn't drink, had a bar in the part of the house, though this would have been in the early 80s, and that seemed sort of customary. It was this cheesy thing for entertaining. It was a wet bar. And I would go back there, and it was a bottle of Midori. Um I remember it vividly from the time I was five years old and I looked at it and it was green and what else was I supposed to do with it? But I drank it. And that was my first incident of sneaking alcohol because I didn't drink at all. 
I'd go back and I'd sneak sips off at every opportunity I had. And, you know, over the course of some time, I did drink it all. So I'm five or six years old and I'm pulling Midori from behind the bar and shooting while nobody's looking. And, uh, you know, and as time went on, I would, um, I drink my mom's beer when she wasn't looking. Uh, I, you know, and there was a long history of just alcohol always held this mystique for me. Um, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was about it. Even when I was that young, you know, I had never gotten drunk. I didn't know anything about it. And there was no real drinking around me. Um, not to the point where anybody was drunk um, or disorderly or anything like that. You know, I know I'd never, one of my uncles, my favorite uncle, I never in my whole life saw him without a beer in his hand. Um but I also never saw him drunk or, you know, in a fashion that would, you know, nothing that was obvious to me anyway. So fast forward a little while, um, I was about 12 or 13. And one of my, one of my friend's moms bought us three cases of beer to split between four 13 year olds for some reason I think we all had 20 bucks and she bought the beer and kept 20 bucks for herself and uh that was the first time I got drunk I was 13 years old we used to camp out in the woods we'd go out about a half a mile or so out into the woods into a sand pit light things on fire and uh just hang out and that's what we did my whole childhood but at that point I was 13 I'm gonna say 13 that's pretty close and um It was summer we'd spend it wasn't uncommon for us to spend multiple nights in a row just like disappearing and you know nobody ever came looking for us nobody ever worried about us and uh i dug a hole in the sand and i buried a case of beer in it and i covered it with a board and some pine needles so nobody would find it a half a mile in the woods and i uh the first night I drank two beers and I was nervous. I thought somebody was going to catch me. And then the second night I drank about 10 and I was hammered. We were all hammered. I was the last one awake. I sat by the fire like an old man holding on to my beer, just enjoying life. And I thought that that was the greatest thing that had ever happened to me. And from that point on, I really, really, really chased that that lifestyle like that was that was what I wanted to do I wanted to drink um I wanted to hang out um and uh Keith your mic's on excuse me sorry um so and that was what we did for many many years you know my uh my neighborhood was small I use neighborhood loosely. My nearest neighbor was, you know, a few hundred yards through the woods and a few hundred yards beyond that, there was another one. And we just all ended up being the same age for some, some reason that, uh, some, some sort of divine intervention put teenage boys within a half mile of each other at the same time in the, the early nineties. And we just tore it up and we went all over the place and we rode our bikes and we had fun and everything was great. By the time I was 14 was when I really started to feel different. Um, you know, my friends, that group of friends that I just talked about would go off and they would do their own thing. And I was content just staying home and watching TV. You know, we had dirt bikes and four wheelers and free reign of whatever we wanted to do. And I, uh, I just like to sit around and kind of do my own thing. And whether it was read a book or watch TV, that was the year that, we got cable TV in my small town when I was 14 and it was just like, I started binging on that. And, um, you know, like I said, it all started really innocently. Um, but to the point that like, I really looked forward to drinking. I couldn't look, it could, you know, it was very hard for me to get, um, you know, just by where I was. And every time I could, I, I would, um, I would binge drink 
and I would overindulge and I'd be 15 years old and I'd be passed out or thrown up or I'd drink a, a pint of Southern Comfort and just drink till I was sick and couldn't walk. And it was like that from the jump, you know, as soon as I had enough access to it, I, I was off to the races. Um, right around the time I was 15 was when my friends started smoking weed. You know, everybody had an older brother or something like that that uh, was smoking weed. And I, I really thought it was bad. I thought it was very, very bad. And that was until I tried it. And once I tried it, I was hooked, for lack of a better word. And it was truly the first thing that I did abuse. Um, I was high all day, every day. Um you know, I, I couldn't get alcohol because it was, you know, it was just hard and that would have been my preference, but I could get marijuana real easily and nobody would hesitate to sell marijuana to a 15 year old kid, you know, so that's what we did. And again, we just hang out in the woods and kick a hacky sack around for a few hours a day or stand in somebody's driveway and get nothing done and smoke a bunch of weed and if that same older brother walked by, he might get us a 40, a crazy horse or something. And, you know, we'd drink a little bit and smoke some weed and get high and just live life. And it was beautiful. Um, you know, it really didn't start to get messy for me until a little bit later. But when I was 18, I, I met a woman who was quite a bit older than me and we entered into a relationship and she was obviously old enough to buy alcohol and it was at that point shortly after I graduated high school that I had um I became a daily drinker um at 18 you know 18 and a half wherever I was uh it wasn't bad you know but you know I was definitely getting drunk three or four days a week I was drinking every day and, you know, and I thought it was just the best. And uh, even looking back, you know, there are some good memories there. And that was right around the same time I saw my first fish show and I had just gone to see um, the dead at Highgate. So I saw Jerry once and that first, um, that experience at Highgate really opened my eyes to a whole different world. Uh, that I just didn't know existed. I'd come from small town New England, and that was something else that was also happening in small town New England. But it was just a big party, and I wanted part of it. Um, and I took advantage of that every time I could. From you know, uh, you know, from 1995 to 2000, I went to as many shows as I possibly could. I was a mess and a disaster at each and every one of them you know, up and down the East Coast, um, the usual places. Uh, all the while, I was continuing to drink and drink heavier and heavier and heavier. Um, it switched from beer to hard alcohol, then to beer and hard alcohol. And then it was always a combination. You know, I always made a joke that, you know, I, I wore cargo shorts everywhere I went because that's where I could keep my nips, you know, because I always had booze in my pocket, always. Um, and if it wasn't in my pocket, it was in my car and I would soon be in my pocket because I had extra. <laughs> so when I was 22, um, I found out that that woman and I were going to have a baby. Um, I was well on my way to being a, um, to an alcohol, being an alcoholic. I had alcoholic tendencies. I was drinking every day. I mean, I was basically full-blown alcoholic at that point. My, you know, um, but I knew that I had to change some stuff, you know, when I found out I was going to be a dad and, and I did, I, uh, I went out and I got a job, like a real job that wasn't at the liquor store because that's usually where I worked was where they sold the booze. Um, I started working for a small utility. Uh, I was a meter reader. I worked five hours a day. I walked about 12 or 
10 to 12 miles every day, just walking around people's yards and reading their meters and going from place to place to place. And it was the best job in the world. Cause then I'd get out, I'd have a couple drinks. I'd go a couple hours later, I'd go work at the liquor store for a handful of hours and then I'd get out and just do it all over again. And, you know, I, I had to get, I was there for the benefits. I was there for, you know, I wanted to be a, person who took care of their child you know I love that little girl so much and uh looking back things were things were not good things were good that relationship was terrible right from the beginning um you know it was just neither one of us were very healthy we weren't in healthy places in our lives and uh you know it didn't last much long very long I think we split up when my daughter was two <clears throat> excuse me and I, I you know I moved back with my folks and I lived in the basement and I worked all day and I drank all night long and I did that for a couple of years and then I got my own house and then I did the same thing I just did it somewhere else uh you know I I drank and I drank and I drank and it was a series of close calls I never I never got arrested I never got hurt. Um, I never crashed into anything. Uh, well, no, I'm not going to say never. Um, there was one time I crashed into something, but it's not important because <laughs> the details are hazy. But, you know, I outwardly, I was someone who had their life and their shit together. Um, inwardly, things were getting worse and worse and worse. You know, I was an emotional basket case. I was unhappy in my life. I was unhappy with my alcohol consumption. Um, you know, I just wasn't having fun anymore, you know, and I was, I was watching my daughter grow up and I was there. I was not an absent parent in any way. I wasn't a full-time parent, but I was, you know, I was at every game. I was one of the dance moms, you know, every time she went to ballet, I'd, uh, Every week I'd take her to ballet and I'd sit there with the moms and I'd watch the girls dance for two or three hours, however long it was. And, you know, they took me under their wings. And I was also much younger than everybody too. You know, when my daughter was five, I was still in my late twenties. And, you know, some of the moms were older than that. And it was cool. I mean, things were fun in that regard, but, you know, there was always that dark, that dark sadness that was, that came with the alcoholism. Um, it got to the point where my, you know, I went to the doctor when I was, I think, probably close to 30. And she told me, she said, how much do you drink? And I said, oh, I have a couple beers at night, you know, standard answer. And uh, she said, okay, that's fine. And I, she must have see, seen my face and known that that was a crock of shit. You know, I was bloated and unhealthy looking. And... She's like, can we check your blood? So yeah, sure, go right ahead. And I was like, oh no, the gig is up. They're gonna find, somebody's gonna figure me out. And I knew that was one of my biggest fears that someone was gonna know. I didn't want anybody to know, you know? So I drank alone and at home. Um, and she called me back like a week later and she said, hey, we got your blood results. Those two beers a night you drink, stop. She's like, stop drinking now because everything's out of whack and it's not gonna, it's not good. This is not good. I was like, oh, okay. And she was talking about my livers, my liver levels and, and, you know, I guess just my overall health at that point. So I stopped, I stopped for about, actually, I remember I stopped for nine days. That was it. And that was the longest I'd gone in close to 10 years at that point. I, I had nine days without alcohol. Um, when it was not comfortable, it was not fun. And it was not something that I was going to do for any length of time. So the next natural course of action, when the doctor tells you to stop drinking is the solution is to stop going to the doctor. Mm. That's what I did. And I didn't see a doctor again for eight, nine years. And actually, I'm sorry, no, it wasn't quite that long, but it was a little while. And I kept drinking just as hard and just as long and actually, if not harder, 
um, there was a period of time where I was, I knew that something was wrong. Um, like I knew it in my heart, I knew in my body, I could feel it. I knew it in my emotional state and I just refused to acknowledge it. Um, you know, I just get up and go to work and pretend everything was okay. Uh, you know, I was going to work drunk in the morning, well, hungover, but drunk. Um, I have a job. I continued that job at the utility. I started doing um, high voltage maintenance and construction and I was showing up. If I wasn't drunk, I definitely wasn't sober. And, you know, in some form of divine intervention, I never was breathalyzed at work. I'm part of drug rotation, uh, drug testing rotation, and they never checked. And I just dodged that bullet time after time after time. And, you know, my family life was falling apart. My mental health was falling apart. Um, you know, I still was showing up at my daughter's events, but I was showing up late particularly the morning ones, uh, the weekend stuff, I'd be the guy who showed up 20 minutes late for the basketball game, which was good because that meant nobody was in the parking lot because when I'd go behind the dumpster to throw up, nobody would see me. And that happened for years. I was just, you know, I was, the hangovers got worse and worse and worse and the the effects on my health and my mental health got worse and worse and worse. Um, I had decided, you know, that I needed to do something about it at about 35. I had hurt my back and I was prescribed, uh, painkillers, some oxys. And, you know, I was drinking heavy, heavy. And then I started putting pills on top of it and it was not a good combination I had gone, it was just a few months I was out of work and I was drinking all day. I'd started smoking weed again. I was taking uh, whatever, 15 to 20 oxys a day. And I was up all night because I was in so much pain. And for the first time in my life, I would, I would, I was what I would consider myself as a fucking asshole. I was miserable. I was unhappy. I was pumped to the gills with alcohol and pills and I was not fun to be around. And I was surly and just mean. And one night I had, uh, I'd gone to the, the get a cortisone shot from my back and the doctor said, Hey, do you need more painkillers? I was like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. He goes, okay. So I go to fill the prescription and they said, they said, that, well, that's too many. Uh, we'll get a check with your insurance. And I was like, oh, okay. And I just figured it was too many bottles in a row or something. I didn't really know how it worked. And they called me a couple hours later and said, come back. Your prescription's all set. And I walked in and she handed me a, a bottle of Oxys like this big. And there was hundreds. There was 240 in the, in the bottle. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, I guess. And, you know, and I, I took all those very, very quickly. They didn't last very long. And I got one more refill like that. And at the end of it, there was, um, I sat down, it was a Friday night. And I remember looking at that bottle and I, I, I looked in it and I looked inside. I'm like, all right, it's Friday. I can take three to two more today, three tomorrow. And that'll leave me two for Sunday. And I'll get it filled Monday. And then I was like, well, no. And then I'm, I'm doing all that, that math in my head. And I think everybody knows the math that I'm talking about. I was making sure that I had enough. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, holy shit, what am I doing? And mm -hmm. thankfully, I was able to stop. I took those seven and I, I spread them out over a couple of days or whatever. And that was it. And I never took another one and I've never yet to take another one, but I know 
for a fact that had I refilled that bottle or, you know, that would have been it because that was, it had its hooks in me, but I was able to get them out. Um, and meanwhile, I'm still a raging alcoholic, um, uh, you know, a dozen beers and a pint of booze every day at that point. And I had enough work to do. And I, for some reason I was like, I'm not, I, it just, it was like, it was a lightning bolt, you know, just one of those aha moments. And I decided then that I was going to do something about my drinking too. And I took it, it was slow. Um, you know, I would take 30 days off or 60 days off here and there. And it was just, and by off, I mean, I would just stop drinking because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And I would white knuckle it for however long I could possibly hold on. And I didn't know a thing about recovery. I didn't know a thing about rehab. I barely thought I was, I knew I was an alcoholic, but I'd never used the word to describe myself. And, you know, every time I'd go back to drinking, it was the same thing. It was like the minute I decided that I was going to drink, it was happening. And it was right back where I was. Um, that carried on for a couple of years until uh, I was on vacation one time. I was 38. <laughs> I was 38 years old. And I was on vacation and I was just still drink, 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 drink. And I drank all day one day and I spent the whole night puking outside i woke up at like one o'clock in the morning with this cold sweats um and i was just horribly ill i ended up passing out on a plastic bench in the rain in the backyard of a house we rented for the week with my family my mom who was like at the time she was 75 you know my daughter her friend my sister and uh I woke, the only reason I woke up in the morning, well, I woke up in the morning because I was laying there in my underwear and it was raining on me. And uh, I looked up and I saw a sliding glass door. And I knew that beyond that sliding glass door was my daughter, whom I loved so much. And at that point, she was 15 years old. And her dad was a half naked piece of shit sleeping in the rain outside. And that was another one of those lightning bolt moments for me. And I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. I can't. I'd done it long enough. Um, so I decided in that moment I wasn't going to drink again. Um, and I didn't for about 10 hours. I convinced myself that I'm on vacation. I'm going to finish drinking. I got every, all this booze here. I'm going to finish drinking it. And then I'll take a break. And one of those, someone said something today, my brother-in-law, um, he looked at me, he looked me up and down. He goes, you're not drinking today, Matt? I said, no, maybe later. And he looked and he go, looked me dead in the eyes. He goes, do you think it had anything to do with the fact that you were double fisting all day yesterday? I was like, yeah, yeah, I think it does. And he's like, okay. And that was it. Nobody ever said another word about it. And I carried on and I got home that Monday and uh, vacation was over. And I was like, I'm going to take another break. And I had it all timed out. I was like, all right, this is early August. I'm like, if I stop now, a hundred days will get me to Thanksgiving. It'll be the holidays. I can drink again like I want to. And I was going to get there. And that first, that two weeks, again, I have no recovery experience whatsoever i don't know anything the first thing about alcohol withdrawals i don't know the first thing about you know recovery or anything like that and i, I was pacing around my house man um I, I was so sick i was shaking so badly um i don't know how i did it i just did it and in that intervening time you know that hundred days that i was gonna 
that's what I was going to take off. Um, something washed over me where I'm like, you know what? I think I, I think I'm going to stick with this. I think I really going to try and stay sober this time. And I did, you know, I got to that 90 day point and I was like, I'm not drinking next week. Like I, I'm like, I'm not drinking next week. And I, I got past there and that was the longest stretch I'd ever been sober in my whole life. Um, from, from basically 13 years till 38, I mean, 25 years and 90 days was the longest I ever had. Shortly after that, um, that was when all of those emotional things start coming up. All the emotions I'd, I'd buried for so long under under alcohol was were coming to the surface. And I was a mess. I was a mess. I was suffering from untreated alcoholism. I had no experience with anything and I was dealing with so much and I, I had a long-term relationship that was completely falling apart and had been for quite some time um my daughter was 16 at that point and she was starting to drive so the one thing that I like relied you know my one job was to get her from place to place and take care of her and all of a sudden I didn't have that anymore either and I didn't have you know my what what amounted to my best friend, which was alcohol. You know, I didn't have any of that any longer. And things really, the wheels came off the bus at about five months sober. Um, and it it prompted me to call a uh, a counselor, a therapist, because I'd never experienced anything like this. I was in so much pain, you know, emotional pain. I had, uh, I had a relationship that was ending. I had started another one. Um, and it was just, it was a shit show for lack of a better term. And, uh, I called him and I met up with him, the therapist. He's like, Hey Matt, you know, I told him what was going on in my story and it must've just been coming out of my pores. Like every aspect of my life falling apart was just happening and it was word vomit. And he goes, how about you try a meeting? And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not one of those. <laughs> I'm not one of those people. And, um, I ended up after a couple of weeks, I went to a meeting. I went to my local AA meeting that I knew existed and had been there for quite some time. And, you know, I used to, that liquor store I used to work at was right down the street and I worked Sunday nights. And every Sunday I'd leave the store and I'd have a nip in my hand and I'd drive by the AA meeting where everybody's outside smoking and I'd hold it up. I'd pop the top, I'd hold it up and I'd be like, this is for you guys. And I would drink it as I drove by. And I'd head on home. And uh, subsequently, that's that's become my home group. I go there every week and I have for a long, long time. And I've told this story more than very often anyway. Um, that first meeting I went to was, uh, it was an experience. There was a man who got up and spoke and he and I had absolutely nothing in common uh, visually or like it just, we were so different. He grew up in the inner city. Um, just all, whatever difference you could think of that was there, but he got up and he told my story and I cried. I left that meeting and I cried and I started chasing meetings because I had found something, you know, I had found something that, that filled that hole that, that alcohol used to, um, you know, and fast forward a few years, I, I did, as many meetings as I possibly could, you know, seven, 10 a week for a few years. And um, all that changed when COVID hit, uh, you know, everything got shut down. Um, and I didn't know how I was going to handle that at that time. I'd had, you know, a little bit of sobriety. I'm, you know, about five years, I guess. And, you know, I wasn't worried about drinking, but it was my routine that was changing. And, you know, I, I'm a creature of habit and the things, you know, those disruptions like that kind of throw me off. So, you know, 
one day my uh my girlfriend and I were talking about it shortly after after COVID started and we saw that there was a Zoom meeting for uh the fellowship. And we signed on and it was cool. You know, it was like it was it was convenient. It was, you know, it was people who had the same interest as I did. Um and you know, and as time went on, that meeting really became my my home group at home, I guess I could call it. You know, it was from the convenience of my couch, you know, and I, I got to know the people in, in the meeting and I got to know more and more people in the meeting and I coming to that and I really, you know, eventually those people, you people here have, you know, have become my friends. You know, I've met many of you, um, a lot of you in person. We've hung out, we've gone to shows together. We spend time together. There are, you know, people that I speak with on a regular basis in, um, you know, in this group and the other yellow balloon group, groups. And, uh, you know, the one thing that was really lacking in my I guess we'll say previous style of recovery was um, service work. You know, I, I spoke at a, a rehab facility occasionally, you know, a few times a year. Um, we do a couple of commitments, but not a lot. Um, you know, but this this has introduced me to a whole different level of, of um, service work. Um, you know, between the, uh, the meeting itself or you know the tables or the podcast or the friday meetings or the sunday meetings or all that stuff it has really opened up my eyes to a whole different level too and also i had always really just only had experience in alcoholics anonymous which is you know my program that i work um but to have all of the other options available and have people with experience in each and every one of them has really made a huge change in my life because it's opened up different avenues of thought and different avenues of recovery. And, you know, while AA is, is still my, you know, my bread and butter, so to speak, um, you know, where I, where I get the the bulk of my recovery program, the Al-Anons and the SLAAs and the, you know, all the other ones that are just right there, the OAs and just, it's just been amazing, you know, and I just, the more I think about it and the more, the deeper I get into it, the more grateful I am just to have had this opportunity to, to be immersed in something so deeply, um, people who I care about so much. I mean, it's really, it's been, it's really just been quite an experience for me. And, uh, I guess that's it for me, but I just want to thank you all for being here and I, I love you all so much. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Love you. Matt. Thanks. Matt. That was great. Love you. Thank you, okay. Matt. And Matt, um, it was a powerful moving story of recovery. I identified with the uh with the drinking and uh definitely those feelings of being uh being different. And um that feeling that uh that feeling of going to meetings and discovering that that seems to fill the void that I was throwing everything else uh, into um glad I've gotten to know you on the meetings over the past uh, couple of years and uh, thank you very much for sharing it's your meeting thank you Dave I'm Sarah I'm in recovery I'm a junkie fell all that stuff. Um, thanks so much, Matt. That was really, um, that was really, uh, I, I, I connected with a lot of dots that you were putting down. Um, the whole like drinking in the woods, digging holes, hiding drinks and in, in, in the, in the covering it. Uh, yeah, we, I did that as a kid with friends and like, you know, just drinking so much till I was like puking and then just kept on doing it. Um, and then like how you tried to stop so many times um, and then just like couldn't, didn't want to, then couldn't, and then got to a point where you were just like enough. Um, I'm just, I'm grateful that you got, that you didn't get hooked on those pills because like so many people um, 
you know, that kind of story where they get it prescribed and that just begins a whole, uh, you know, addiction to opiates um, on top of, you know, other addictions and stuff. And a lot of people don't make it out. And I'm so grateful that you did make it out. And it's really awesome to see you doing service, um, to see you on Instagram and um, when you host the meeting. Um, you're always so welcoming and kind and um, I love your contributions and I love you and uh, thanks so much. Thank you, Sarah. Hey, I'm Keith. I'm an alcoholic in the film and uh, glad to be. Thank you, Matt, very much for your service. Um, um, yeah, a lot of relatable contents for sure uh, you know that like long sense of unease or doom or whatever it is and like not being able to figure out like how other people can be content in such a fucked up world but really it's just you're killing yourself slowly over decades and it's hard to find any level of contentedness when you're doing that actively uh, to like yeah the, taking the breaks the uh I definitely have my share of 30 and 60. I think I did 90 once, actually pretty close towards the end of my uh, drinking career. And um, yeah, just trying to uh, figure out what it all meant at the time and, and trying not to confront like what you know is actually going on. Um, so yeah. I'm super, super glad you got out. And uh, yeah, that pill shit's crazy. I've never heard of any, like, that's wild getting uh, prescribed, like, an elephant's load like that. Um, but I guess that's what was going on. I was just super lucky in the fact that I always got violently ill on Aussie. So even though I tried to get fucked up on them a few times, um, it just never worked out for me, or else I probably would have had a much rougher. But anyway, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, you are definitely one of uh, one of my people that made it super comfortable and uh, super safe when I first showed up, um, and as vulnerable as I've ever been. Uh, so I'll love you for that forever. So thank you very much for your service. Right on, Keith. Thank you. Hey, I'm Tracy. I'm Othell. I'm grateful to be here. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I also did the I'm going to quit for 90 days and see how I do and see what happens and um, never went back. I did it a couple times and then eventually never um, And I just, I'm really grateful to hear your story. I'm grateful to call you a friend and um, be a New England fellow with you and get to go to local music every once in a while. And um, I just, I really love hearing the fells that I've gotten to know from this meeting. I love hearing their stories because um, just it, it just, I don't know. It, it just solidifies how grateful I am to be um, in friendship with this crew. And um, I also was at Highgate. So, um, <laughs> and also discovered something that I didn't know existed and wanted to be a part of. And, um, and thank you so much for your service in this meeting and for sharing your story tonight. It was great to hear it. My name is Benji. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. And uh, I am late to this meeting today. And uh, I wanted to say that... Uh, Matt, I appreciate the hell out of you. Uh, your commitment to this meeting and the service and, and and the community is admirable. We were running late tonight because we uh we had a Friday night dinner and I was I I knew we were going to be late and I texted Dave and I was like, hey man, I need you to host the meeting, and uh, he said no problem. And then I said, I am such a dick. The last time Dave was hosting the meeting was when uh, during COVID, during the Beacon Jams, and during that like ten week, um, that ten weeks of Beacon Jams, you know, we'd get to the meeting and there'd be three people there, and it was like me, David, and whoever was sharing that night. <laughs> you know, it was rough. It was rough, and I'm like, man, it's Dick's weekend, and it's gonna be Matt and David, and I'm gonna be late, and there's gonna be nobody there. 
and uh, I I felt awful. And so when I logged on and I saw that there's, you know, a dozen or so people here, um, you know, I'm just I'm grateful that there's a crowd. Uh, I guess congratulations to you guys for being, you know, uh, not a dicks. And, um, you know, Matt, thank you for 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 sharing tonight and sharing your story. And, um, you know, I love you, man. Love you, Bench. Thanks. Hey, Matt and everyone. It's Lexi. I'm a felon alcoholic. Um, Matt, thank you so much. I don't know what it is. I think there's something about hearing the stories of our friends that make your shares in our in our everyday meetings just make so much more sense. Just kind of like knowing everybody's context and 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 background um, makes your you know the things that you say so much more valuable to me. And getting to rage with you last weekend was so fun. And um and I really love you and thank you for being here and, and speaking for us tonight. Thank you, Lexi. Glad you made it. I'm Bob, alcoholic and fell. Um, Matt. Mike, as I once called you by mistake, I, I thank you so much for your share and and your vulnerability. Um, when I first started coming to the meetings, <clears throat> the times that I get to listen to you speak, I thought, you know, that's a guy that's got a lot of wisdom. He's seen a lot and like, he's not cynical. And, you know, when, you know, being a newcomer into sobriety and recovery I had a lot of apprehension like what does this mean for me like what am I going to be like on the other side of this you know am I going to even recognize myself <clears throat> and I remember I don't exactly remember what what you said in, in a meeting but the the way you said it there was like this heartfelt conviction and it gave me a sense of hope that like hey guy, he's 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 working it and and maybe maybe there's a chance for me too and i'm really really fortunate as well to have gotten to meet you uh last week um at spac and in rage and one thing that stuck with me the most was uh during set break you know we were just chatting and and you just kind of you just kind of leaned in hey bob how are you doing you know and it meant a lot to me um, that even in the excitement and the energy and the good times that like, you know, that, that personable, you know, that spirit in you, it, it really resonated with me. I just really have a lot of respect and admiration for you, Matt. And I really, really appreciate that you are here and alive and that I've gotten a chance to, to meet you. Thanks. Thank you very much, Bob. Amanda, alcoholic, Phil. So good to hear your story, Matt. I am grateful that I met you last year at Bethel and when trying to get in to SPAC the first night, just like getting wheeled past this crowd and looking up and seeing you like was one of the highlights of the weekend for me um, and seeing other people, you know, that I had only seen on Zoom uh, was so wonderful. So Thank you for your service and thank you for sharing. And I'm glad that I remembered that this meeting existed tonight so that I didn't miss you. Hi everyone, I'm Amy, fell addict. Um, glad to be here tonight. Um, Matt, thanks so much for sharing your story. Um, every time I come to these meetings and I hear someone you know, sharing their story, it, um, it just reinforces um, why I'm doing this, why I'm here, why I keep showing up. Um, it's been a hell of a week, the last couple of weeks for me. Um, so it's just good to see some familiar warm faces um, for a change. So thanks. Um, I'm Alyssa, I'm a fell. I'd love to take a share. Um, thank you so much, Matt, for your story. Uh, I Like uh, somebody else said, I really appreciate getting to know a little bit more about your background and um, yeah, it's just really good to hear you share. Even, you know, even though our um, DOCs might have been different, a lot of the feelings were the same. Um, and the way you talked about, um, you know, being different or like hiding, you know, just not wanting anybody to know what you were doing. And um, yeah, I could relate to a lot of that. So uh, just thank you for telling your story. And um, 
I too am really, really grateful that we also we all live in New England <laughs> and uh and can find times in the best kind of way. And um, you know, it's just kind of magical when we can all get together. So um uh here's to a lot more of that. So that's it. Thanks. Thank you, Melissa. Okay, if nobody else wants to go, we can dude it out. We have a tradition in this meeting to hold hands with the person in the box next to you. Dude. 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 Thank you all. all so right. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thanks so much, Thank Matt. Amanda, don't Have a leave. Great it. weekend, everybody.